Hey, thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you, encourages you, and brings you closer to Him. What an exciting day. And you say, Bobby, how can you even say that with all the stuff that's going on? Well, I can say it because the Bible says that this is the day the Lord has made, and I'm going to rejoice in all the circumstances, all the issues. You know why? We just sang two songs. We sang two songs that talk about the goodness of God. The Bible says he's a way maker. So I can be excited this morning because God is good. You know what else I can be excited about and proud of as the pastor of our church here is that church has continued. We have done church differently, but we've been doing church differently for years. And so it's exciting to hear the stories. Even though I've been away for a little while, I've been hearing the stories about how JSM is still vibrant on Wednesday nights and Journeyland is doing all kinds of things and church on Sunday mornings is going and our acts, all the things that God has done. We are blessed to be able to be and do what we can do. God has continued to do the, the, you know, the work that he's done. I'm also uh, excited, honestly, because I am recharged and refreshed. I have an hour and 45 minutes worth of material today. No, I don't. I'm going to have about 30 minutes, but I'm excited to be back. Let me tell you what else. I'm excited because Easter is coming. And I'm telling you, I'm looking at this thing in a whole different viewpoint. I'm thinking, what a great opportunity to invite people to church that would never, ever darken the doors of church. And so maybe just by sending them an online invitation, which you guys are going to get through social media, maybe, just maybe, God's going to use this thing to reach other people. And then I'm excited because of this series. This is my new favorite series. You've been waiting for that for six weeks, haven't you? New favorite series. And what we're going to be talking about is the messages or the the sermons that Jesus preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. We're calling this From the Mount. And it's uh, two chapters, three chapters. Uh, It's Matthew chapter five through Matthew chapter seven. And what they are is 19 vignettes or 19 messages that we're gonna break down. Now, we're not gonna do this all at one span. We're gonna do this in two parts. We're gonna talk for the first 10 or so weeks uh, about the first 10 messages. And then we're gonna look at the last nine in the fall time. And so you're gonna wanna be a part of this. And why it's so important is, Jesus is about to set the stage for what he's about. Up until this point, he's talked about the kingdom. He's talked about God, but he's literally gonna set the stage. You're gonna put a line in the sand and go, this is what the gospel is. This is who I am. I am the one that you've been looking for for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So I'm excited because we're gonna get to talk about that. And also he's gonna set the stage for the difference between what spirituality is or being a follower of Christ and being religious. And that's important. And the first segment today, what we're going to look at, is pretty popular. It's, a, it's the blessed are, blessed are the poor, blessed are the peacemakers and all that. But I was thinking about this because so many people miss out on a blessing uh, because uh, of, 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 of the things uh, that maybe kind of surround their life. So people often miss out on the things that God wants to do. I thought about a couple reasons, and maybe you can kind of relate to what these reasons are. One of is people sometimes absolutely settle for less than what God has for them, maybe in their jobs, maybe in their relationships. Maybe, maybe like I had a conversation last night with one of my children, we were sitting on the back deck and we're just talking about marriage. And, and I said, how many people you think your friends have made a decision to maybe get married a little sooner or maybe settle for that relationship? And now, you know, for whatever reason, they're going, man, like, or maybe because it fell apart. How many people settle for things in their lives? And so we miss out on God's blessings because we settle for less than what God has for us. I thought about, here's another reason. Maybe even sometimes in my life, I think sometimes we miss out on a blessing that God has for us because of a scarcity, defeated mentality we have. 
when trouble comes our way. Like we have seen it in this, like I have literally had to unfollow certain people because all they talk about is all the negative about how this is democratic, you know, conspiracy or Republican conspiracy or this is a, a Trump thing or this is this or this is that. And, and right away they miss out on all the blessings, the things that God could possibly do in their lives. It's interesting because I was thinking about, it, and I actually said this to our staff, uh, our big picture team the other day. And I said, I'm counting this time as a privilege. Uh, back in the Old Testament, there's a, 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 a woman named Esther and she is chosen by God. And Mordecai, her, her uncle says to her, you are created for such a time as this. And, and people miss out and, and realize maybe these problems, maybe these struggles are just a matter of perspective. And so, so maybe this moment and this time, and you know what I've realized? I realized that lots of people have a really bad mentality about this blessing thing. And so they don't receive blessings. And, and I thought about this. Some people can't receive blessings because they can't even receive a compliment. Um, uh, about a week ago, I had somebody say, hey, hey, Pastor Bobby, you're looking really good these days. Like, it looks like you lost some weight. And I thought to myself, what is that person saying? I'm fat or I was fat? And it was like, instead, what I should have said is, hey, thank you for noticing that I've lost some weight. I've been intentional with my diet. I've been intentional with exercise. But instead, I took the other approach because, because I was, I'm negative and I can't receive a compliment. Or, hey, your clothes really, these old rags. And so maybe we miss out on blessings that God has for us because we're afraid or we don't know how to take a compliment. And then I'm gonna tell you another reason that I think we miss out on God's blessings. And the truth of the matter is, is that we don't realize who we are. We don't realize that we're God's children. We don't realize that, that he wants us to have an abundant life, that God would want us to live abundantly on this side of eternity and the other side of eternity. And so so many times, and it was interesting, um, part of my fasting, um, I'm trying to go through, I was going through the whole Old Testament and I got really bogged down in the book of Judges. And I got bogged down in the book of Judges chapter six and I'll explain that in a second because we've probably heard the great preaching of Judges chapter eight. And, and it's a story of, about Gideon and Gideon fleeces God and he has a couple different moments with God. And there's, there's this battle that's gonna happen between, but between the, Gideon, the, you know, the people that are Gideon's leading and the, the Midianites. And, and, and we know the story, or maybe if you don't know the story, the story kind of goes like this. He whittles it down to 300 people. He takes the ones that kind of lap the water up like a dog. And he takes those 300 and, and attacks you know, this huge army, tens of thousands of people, and he destroys them. But we don't remember... That, that, that literally Gideon had an issue with who he was in God and what God wanted to do with him. And in Judges chapter six, this is what it says in verse 11. It says, now the angel of the Lord came and sat underneath Terebinth, which is um, a cashew tree at Oprah, which belonged to Joas, the, the, um, the Bezerite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Do you catch that? O mighty man of valor. He calls him. He says, you're a mighty warrior. Some translations say, you're a mighty warrior. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all these wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But then now the Lord has forsaken us and given us uh, to the hand of the Midianites. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. He just said, we can't do it. He called him a mighty warrior. And watch what he says. This is the response that Gideon has. And save you from the hands of the Midian. Do not say. And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan, my family, the, the, the community I am is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in the fight. He goes, I am the, I am the weakest of the weak. 
How many times has God said, I want you to do something or I have this promise for you? And we go, but God, how can, we see it all throughout the Bible. Moses, I can barely, barely even get the words out. I'm a stutterer. I can't do what you want me to do. I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to set my people free. He says, listen, I can't do this. I'm the weakest of the weak. Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, didn't even respond. Did you notice how it does? God, God doesn't go, okay, let me listen to your little, you know, let, let's have a little counseling session. Come, sit on the, no, he goes, listen. He says, but I am with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. He never even paid attention to the excuses that Gideon was giving. Gideon needed to realize who he was. We miss the blessings of God because sometimes we don't realize who our God is and what he wants to do in our lives. One of the favorite passages, Alan reads it to us all the time, but it's Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. And a lot of times we talk about we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. But over this past couple of weeks, as I've been reading through the passages that I'm reading his devotions, I came across this, for we are God's workmanship. And I thought about that, that we needs to be capitalized. We think that we're gonna be someday God's workmanship. Or when I get past this struggle in my life, I'm gonna be God's workmanship. Or when maybe I have enough money or the right situation comes, uh, it says we are God's workmanship. It's almost like God saying, listen, I don't care what you're going through right now. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care what you're gonna go through. I don't care about that addiction. I don't care about that sin. I don't care about that problem. You are my workmanship. What would happen if we took our rightful place that God wants us to take I believe blessings would be poured out if we would realize who God's called us to do. And then maybe, just then, we would understand that there's a promise of true blessings and true happiness and true contentment. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, as we start the Sermon on the Mount. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and he went and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who persecute or are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you who, when others come against you, persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things falsely against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in, in heaven is great for those who are persecuted, the prophets who were before you. Man, what a, what a mouthful. It's interesting because that word blessed is, is kind, of, kind of a religious word. It's kind of a word that we don't use a lot in our, our vocabulary. As a matter of fact, most of us say the word blessed, and that's the way when we talk about English grammar, that's how it should be said. But it's interesting, they use these words blessed. And it's not like in, in our regular life, we said, you know, like we're gonna mess it up our hair. We're gonna get dressed. We just, we, we use that word just in religious terms. And what we need to understand, it's not a religious term at all. The people of the time, it was a word actually that was something different. It was a word that meant something else. It was the word makareus. And it actually meant happy or content or fulfilled. And it, it actually said happy, content, fulfilled, and then some. So when Jesus is going through this and he's doing his initial teaching, he's saying, when you're these things, you're, you're blessed, you're, 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 you're Macarius, you're, you're, you're that and then some. And so what he's talking about is this. He's talking about we have contentment in our life. So whatever lot we have, and maybe even like in the situation that um, you know, we're involved in right now with the coronavirus, 
I see so many different uh, viewpoints. I see a group of people that are just super negative about it. I see a group of people that are kind of taking the, you know, making the most out of it. I see families doing things they've never done. And maybe that's what it means, that when we have tough times come our way, that we're content and then some. And maybe fulfilled and then some in our relationships and our jobs. We're fulfilled and then some and happy. Uh, even though the circumstances may not warrant happiness, we're happy and then some. And then joy that we have joy and then some. Wouldn't that be a great thing for us to have in the world, to have some joy and then some? And then we understand from Jesus' teaching that true blessings and happiness come in unexpected ways. It's interesting because we think that happiness comes with money or the amount of you know, stuff we have or maybe the, the great relationships or what we, you know, what all the superficial stuff. And Jesus in his teaching teaches us a whole nother way to find happiness and contentment and fulfillment. As a matter of fact, the world says this, doesn't it? The world says, blessed are the self-made men, for they master, they're the master of their own destinies. And blessed are those who never mourn, for their life will be easy. Or blessed are those who, who make their own rules, for they'll answer to no one but themselves. Or blessed are the aggressive, for they will get whatever they want. Or blessed are those who show no mercy, for their enemies will fear them. Blessed are the compromise, the people that, that, who compromise their convictions, for they'll never offend anyone. And blessed are those that have hearts of stone, for they'll never, ever be hurt. How many people we know like that? That's what the world says. Or blessed are those who win the battle, for their enemies will become their slaves or their servants. And blessed are those who appear great and elevated, for they will be worshipped by many. And so when we read Jesus' teaching, it's so contrary to those things. Jesus says in verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit doesn't refer to our wallet, how much money we have. It refers to our heart. It's translated um, literally abs absolute object or abject poverty. And I watched this happen. When I was in the DR several years ago, we stayed at a place called Playa Azul is where our team gathered at nights before we would go into the Bates, the slums of Dominican Republic. And I remember one time we got done eating and one of the, the people that were working at Playa Azul decided to take the trash out. And when they took the trash out, it was outside the parameters or outside kind of the, the compound. And I remember sitting there looking through a little hole in the wall. I remember seeing people from the city streets come and grab stuff from that dumpster. That's all they had. It was an abject poverty. It was, it was if they didn't get that, they weren't getting anything. And then when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, that's what he's talking about. It's not a dependency on the things that we can get or we can buy or toilet paper. It's, 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 a, it's an absolute dependency on God that we're, we're in poverty if we don't have God in our lives. Poor in spirit describes the attitude which we should all approach God with. I love the psalmist writes, one of my favorite psalms, and it says, as the deer panneth for the water. That's what the King James says, as the deer panneth for the water. After a run or after being chased by an enemy, as the deer panneth for the water, so my soul, my soul longs, my soul searches for you. That's what poor in spirit means. That's what we should be going after. And then it says in verse four, blessed are those who mourn for those people would be comforted. And actually that word has two meanings. The first meaning is a, an attitude of sorrow that leads to repentance, that we're, we're, sorry, we're mourning over the things that we've done wrong, how we've displeased the Father. And how many times have you heard me talk about when our kids were small and you'd ask them if, if they were sorry and they'd say, yeah, we were sorry for something. But were they sorry because they displeased, you know, displeased the Father or they were sorry because they got caught? Boy, you want to talk about a psalm that that is a repentant psalm, a mournful psalm. It's one that David writes after his relationship with Bathsheba, after losing a child and after killing Uriah. 
And he says, listen, against you, God, and you only have I done what's wrong in your sight. I'm absolutely mourning over this. So one of the ways we talk about mourning, blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted, is the mourning that leads us to, to, to repentance or to getting right with Jesus. The other part of this is what happens when we overcome our defeats or we are being defeated or our struggles. Let me give you a fact of life. Maybe you've never heard this. Surviving sadness gives us a greater appreciation for happiness. Uh, you can't understand victory unless you understand defeat in our lives. Over the last uh, week, I've, we've been kind of holed up in our houses. There's not a lot of sports on, so I started looking at reruns of sports, and I was watching an NFL rerun because that's all that's on TV. There's nothing live. And I was watching about the Denver Broncos and John Elway. And I didn't realize this, or maybe I didn't remember this. John Elway, the quarterback for the Denver Bron Broncos, lost three Super Bowls. Three Super Bowls. Can you imagine? Not just one or two, but three. Could you imagine having the chance to go to three? And then all of a sudden, in his last, I think, couple last years of being a Denver Bronco and kind of before retiring, he won back-to-back uh, -back consecutive Super Bowls. And he said, that right there made, you know, the losing of those made those two winning so much sweeter. That's what he's talking about. David says it like this in Psalms 30, verse 11. You have turned my mourning into dancing and you have loosened my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. He's saying, listen, there's a time of mourning. There's a time of sadness, but there's a time where we can dance over things. There's time where we should be in joy. And, and that's what he said. We can have a joy. We can have this and then some. And then he says in verse, verse five, he says, meekness. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness, by the way, doesn't mean weakness. It's actually considered, and if you look at the word there, it's, it's power under control. And it's actually the taming of a wild animal. You've heard me talk about this before. When I was in high school and going into in college years, I worked on a farm. I worked on the Smith farm. It was a dairy farm. And I had one of the responsibilities of cleaning out the stalls of the animals. And I remember one day there was a calf that was just born a few days before. Maybe it was 50, 75 pounds, whoever. I remember walking in and I was cleaning up the, the manure that was on the ground and cleaning up the straw and I was gonna put new, new stuff on the ground. And I remember that, that little calf, that little small calf had so much, so much like anger and penned up energy that it actually pinned me against one of the walls. And when it pinned me against the wall, I felt literally at the point where I could not control this. I'm this little small animal. And then it kicked me and I was like, man, you just broke something and I'm gonna make steaks. And I didn't say that. But it was one of those deals where like, it, was, like, it was, had all this power but no control. I want you to fast forward about a year and a half or two years later. I had been promoted. I was actually a milker now. So I would get to put the, uh, the, the, uh, the apparatus on the, the different cows to get them milked. And I remember walking up this cow and they had ear tags and it was the same ear tag of the one that pinned me in this little small stall. I was a little fearful at first, and then I remember walking up to it, this great big several thousand pound animal all of a sudden just allowed me to put this apparatus, and I patted it on the back, and everything was fine. That's meekness. That's, that's, that's power under control. Aristotle said it like this way. It's the balance between two extremes, a person who is angry at the right time, but never angry at the wrong time, a person who pushes forward when he needs to push, for, push forward, and who pulls back when he needs to pull back. Someone who is meek is strong enough to be gentle, strong enough to be tenor, and yet strong enough to be forceful when it was necessary. Think about Jesus on the cross. Man, if there's ever been, if there's ever been an opportunity in history, I mean, Jesus has literally had gone through the, the, the trial and he's hanging on the cross. 
He could have called and summoned angels. Lean into this for a second. He could have called a thousand legions of angels down. He could have wiped out a whole society, a whole community. And this is what he said, though. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He had the power to do anything he wanted to do. But he knew the restraint. He knew what he had to do. He knew he had to go to the cross. That's meekness. How about verse 6? It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus is saying, if you really want to be good, you can become good, but you can't do it on your own. It's a striving. And actually, uh, some of the words uh, that have been translated for this are gorged. Like literally, like I can't live without this. When it comes to righteousness and holiness, Jesus says, the more you want, the more you'll get, the more I'll give you. And then he goes on to say in verse 7, blessed are the merciful, so they shall receive mercy. You want to be happy? I'm going to give you plain and simple. This is what this means. This is what merciful means. You want to be happy? Give people around you a break. That's it. I saw a pastor of our, one of our local churches uh, write something and said, give your, pastors, give your pastors a break. You know, some were canceling services. Some weren't canceling services. Some didn't know what to do. To be quite honest with you, we have never navigated through anything like this in my lifetime. I've never had, as a pastor, I've never had to navigate through anything like this before. And that's what, what merciful means, that we give the people around us, we give our husbands, we give our kids, we give our bosses, we give the teachers, we give our government, we pray for them instead of, we give them a break. And then it says pure in heart, and I love this one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The word, the Greek word is uh, katharos. It's where we get the word cathartic from, which actually means to purge or to cleanse. It was actually a word they would use in the wartime. And they would have testing where they would try to get rid of the weak or the ones that were maybe insubordinate or disgruntled soldiers when they were getting ready to go to war. And when they got it all weaned down to the right ones, the right people, they realized, well, that's what happens in our lives a lot of times. He's not talking about, you know, just being good, but he's talking about being cleansed. Jesus said, blessed are the pure heart because they will, they'll see God. You know, someone, this is what I'm thinking about. Some of our hearts right now may be filled or maybe were filled with hatred. Maybe, maybe it goes political lines or maybe it goes across church lines. Maybe it goes across you know, divorce situations, relationships. And some of us were selfish and greedy and, and some of us are raging with anger. I can't tell you how many times over the last couple of weeks just going through social media, I see these road rage. I mean, it's crazy. And maybe even now, but I want to tell you something, regardless of where you're at now or maybe where before, you can be cleansed. It can become pure. That's what Jesus wants to do. That's why Jesus went to the cross. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And then he says in verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. In almost every area of my life, there's been a handful of people that just seem to love conflict. They just, everything that surrounds them, they're just, they're, they're, they're just, and you know what I'm finding out? The common characteristic of all these people is a visible lack of being happy. They just, they just love being, everything in life is a competition. I've been taking and writing in my journal. Um, I called it my random journal, and maybe one day I'll publicize some of these things, but it's just for the last five and a half weeks, thoughts that have come to my mind, whether I'm reading a book or with my prayer time or a day I was fasting. And one of the things that I wrote just this past week 
Because I think this situation, this coronavirus, has brought the best and the worst out in a lot of people. And unfortunately, I think it's done that in even some church situations. And it's almost like beat this church kind of a mentality, or like it's church competition. Like, look what this, is church, this church is doing. This, this is church. And I, and I wrote in my journal, I said, church is not a competition. Church is the body of Christ. And the Bible, Bible says this, the body is fitly joined together, each one doing its part. We should celebrate what others are doing, not leading them to us, not our alter egos, but we should be leading people to Jesus Christ. That's what our call is. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. That means that, that we're, we're not trying to draw attention. We're not trying to stir things up. As a matter of fact, just as many people that I've seen that are miserable in life, I've also encountered people that are just the opposite. They have the capacity the amazing capacity to bring people together. They know how to nip conflict in the bud and they, don't, they won't have any part of it. As a matter of fact, they, they stay clear of it. If you're a peacemaker, if you're dedicated your life to making things calm instead of stirring things up, you will be called, that's what it says, you will be called the sons and daughters of God. And then persecuted, the last one. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others come against you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in, in heaven or is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That last line makes me think about, you know, thousands of years of history. And maybe if we're being persecuted for his name, namesake, we're in good company. I mean, we can look at Old Testament prophets. We can look at Jesus himself. Honestly, if you look at history, we know that 11 out of the 12 of the original apostles were all put to death. One was put to death by being exiled on the island of Pathmos. The other ones were literally killed. You're in good company. In the world that we live in, I don't think that any of us are necessarily in this side of, of, the, of the world. We're going to get tortured for being believers. But some of us have lost jobs. Because of, some, some of us have been persecuted and made fun of because of that. We need to pray for each other. In that. We need to be praying for people in other countries that are being persecuted, that are being martyred for Jesus' name. But he says when you do that, there's a reward at the end of it. And Jesus says, listen, if you want to be more than happy in this life, Stay faithful to him. Stay faithful when you're mistreated. I've, I've brought this down to really one phrase. True happiness, true, true contentment, true fulfillment is about having the right relationship with God. I was reading a story um, this past week about uh, donuts. Who doesn't like a donut story? Who doesn't like donuts? And it was a story about a guy that actually spent I think it was 15 months in jail for selling donuts. And you go, wow, that's kind of mean. Well, hold on a second. What he was doing was pretty interesting. He was a health bu uh, buff and he decided he was going to start selling and marketing healthy donuts. He actually claimed that they were only three grams of fat and 135 calories. Who's in on that right there? I want some of those donuts. But what we didn't know, what people didn't know is he was actually buying them from another bakery right down the road that the donuts were actually 530 calories and 18 grams of fat. It was a cocktail for, for just absolute destruction. People that had all kinds of problems and struggles with their weight were eating these low-fat donuts, thinking somehow or another they were going to bring healthy. And I'm telling you, I would have bought some. 
And as I was reading this article, I'm looking through it and I'm going, oh my goodness, that's what we've done in the world that we live in. Somehow or another, we have bought into this, this peddler of this package of happiness, what happiness should look like. And we've bought donuts that, th- that we think are gonna bring us th- here and actually they're destruction. They're bringing us all kinds of other problems. Man, there's, there's so many people out there that are trying to peddling, you know, from, 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 you know, from happiness in this or relationships or, or get rich, how to get the 401k back up, all those things. And if we look at scripture and we look at this first segment of the Sermon on the Mount, we realize that true happiness comes a completely different way. And I'm kind of worried, to be honest with you, because I have a feeling that a lot of people are thinking, okay, happiness is the day I send my kids back to school. I don't have to worry about that. Or happiness is when this whole coronavirus is over. Or happiness is when the economic structure come back, comes back. Or when my stocks and bonds reach the maximum and now that they're low, I'm gonna buy and they're, when, I, when I make it rich. And I have a feeling that's that fake donut. And we'll never find true happiness. And he honestly... He doesn't ever promise us that those things aren't going to happen to us, that we're not going to have economic destruction, that we're not going to have struggles, that we're not going to have problems, that we're not going to have a virus, that we're not going to have a shutdown, that we're not going to lose our job. But what he does promise us, if we're going to try to find true happiness, is that he'll be with us through the storm, through that problem, through that struggle. And it's those people that absolutely understand this first part of the Sermon on the Mount and what it means to be blessed what it means to be happy. Is that you? Have you gone after the wrong donut, the fake donut? Well, today I'm gonna tell you the only way you can find happiness is that right relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe today, maybe today's the day that you look at him and have a conversation. This past week I posted on my, on my Facebook something I wrote in my journal two days before and I wrote, God, you have my attention. And maybe this whole thing what the enemy intended to bring harm, maybe this whole thing was to bring us back into a right relationship with him. Maybe it was a situation that we would look to him for our source of strength, who knows? But today we have an opportunity. And I'm gonna ask you, wherever you're at right now, whether you're watching uh, you know, in your house or you're, you're sitting maybe at your workplace, wherever you're at, I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads for a second with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now in this moment, I have chased after for a large portion of my life, all the wrong things. There's been moments where I've chased after you, but it wasn't until this past week or so that I realized where true contentment, true happiness, where fulfillment comes from, where where I can find my source of hope and strength, and it's you. And so God, today, I'm gonna put my trust completely in you. I don't know what tomorrow is gonna hold, but I know I'd rather go through a disaster and mess with you on my side than to go through peace without you. God, I pray, because I believe there's so many people watching this right now that have gone after all the wrong things, and maybe today, through this short teaching, they're coming back to you. Maybe that's you today, right where you're at. Maybe you wanna come back to Jesus, maybe you've never come to Jesus and today's your day. Maybe you're gonna cross that spiritual line in the sand and you're gonna find true contentment in him. I just want you to repeat right where you're at, just a real simple prayer. It goes something like this. Dear Jesus, in this moment, 
I want to trust you. I give you, I give you my life. I confess that I'm a sinner. I've got things in my life that are wrong. I want to be made right with you. And so in this moment, in this moment, I give you everything I have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I remember making that decision in 1983. It was the happiest day of my life. I found true contentment. Even though I've wandered off the trail, I have found true contentment in Jesus Christ. And I hope you can too. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.